Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, here we are, just full mode fall. How's everything in your world, buddy? I mean, we've got some lovely weather and uh, little to complain about first day of the week, so I'll take it. That's it. No, it's a big just talk around town right now how nice the weekend was. And yeah, we get this little patch of weather that it's just beautiful. It's like 60s in the mornings. Actually, this morning was like 50 something daytime highs, like 82 or something. Yeah, it's great. We had a little birthday party for my daughter this weekend and first game for softball, which is fall season. So quite a bit of time outside just enjoying the weather. And of course, you know, football and baseball's hot and heavy and the Rockets, I think, got their first game under their belt. I mean, yeah, it's just a great time of year, man. Holidays are coming up. I'm loving it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's a great time. I mean, I go running to try and stay less fat. And one of the things <laughs> okay. is I went running and I was like, man, I'm tearing it up. And I'm like, I must be getting into shape. And it's like, well, you have no reason to be getting into any better shape because you haven't done anything different. And then I realized it was just cooler out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so man, my so it, makes, so much- it makes me feel something that I'm probably not, but it's much better than the heat. It makes a huge difference running in a hundred degree or even like in the nineties versus oh, when yeah. it's cooler out. It literally is like night and day difference. So now's your time to turn it up and get after it for sure. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to watch again, typical me, but how are we doing? We're in the playoffs now, right? It's October. Yeah. It's full-blown playoff mode. We've locked that up. We have home field advantage throughout the uh, American league. Ooh, wee. So all we got to do is win, right? That's right. Few more games left in the regular season, and then it'll be be playoff time. But I don't like this extra wild card thing because the Astros are gonna have like five days off. Uh think of a team that's like do or die, has to win a wild card game, comes mm-hmm. in like hyped up. Yeah, when you're an underdog, you have nothing to lose, right? You come in and yeah. you just go all out. Whereas like when you're sitting on top, there's so much expectation. So mentally, I could see that. And then too, like when you take the rest, it's kind of like I don't know, random example, but we played in a charity golf deal the other week and it was so busy. And so when you're waiting like five minutes between each shot, you kind of lose that momentum and you kind of mentally check out. And so on that side of things too, sometimes when you know you have a long wait between games, especially going to the playoffs, if you mentally start to drift away and think about other stuff, it's hard to maybe sometimes get back in it, especially if you don't have the momentum off of like a huge win or something. Yeah. Anyways, I'm nervous, but that's no different than any other Astros game or playoff for that matter. Have you got the suit dry cleaned and ready, crisp and starched up? You know, I actually meant to get it dry cleaned because I wore it to the game the other day and I haven't yet. But now with the choices, you you can't smell your own scent or whatever. So if I'm able to get it in, it'll be for the people around me and not for myself. There you go. Nice. Well, it sure is exciting time of year. And with that said, Matt, it's exciting on the drilling fluid. Whenever things are not going 100%, as planned, which oftentimes is the case. I was thinking about an episode, Matt, if you're drilling along on water-based mud, you know, more specifically in LSND, which is a low solids, non-dispersed mud, and you start taking a little water flow from a nearby injection well or saltwater disposal well, regardless of the system, you always have things to consider and that can easily throw your properties off kilter, as they say. Anyway, I thought that'd be a good topic of discussion for today, LSND and SWDs. What do you think? Yeah, sounds great to me. I mean, it happens all the time and, you know, something we've always got to be prepared to deal with. 
Yeah, exactly. And so let's kind of dust off the old MUD 101 manual here and talk about just, you know, getting back to the basics of what is in produced water. So when you're taking a flow, and in this case, you know, saltwater flow, you know, that can mean a few different things. So why don't we refresh everyone's memory on what's in a produced water? Well, I think, you know, salt water, so we call it salt water and it's mostly sodium chloride salt, mostly, you know, and produced water, generally the geochemists can call me out, the all eight of them that listen. I don't think any geochemists listen, <laughs> but, you know, you're basically thinking about like formation water that was with the oil. So this is like really old seawater, millions of years old mm. that comes to surface. And so it's not just pure sodium chloride water, just like seawater isn't pure sodium chloride. It's got other stuff in it. And it can have these other things like, you know, it can have some calcium in it. It can have other kind of weird metal salts, like a barium or strontium or some of these other things. And they can do some sort of weird things that we're all used to working with sodium chloride, but if they're in high enough concentration, these other cations, you know, calcium, magnesium, they can give us trouble. And so that's where things sort of get complicated. And then not only am I taking on volume, that's got some chlorides and some other stuff, but these kind of nasties, depending on how much is in them can create a problem. And then sometimes it's produced water. Usually, you know, you try really hard to get all the oil and all that stuff out of it because you want to sell it. But sometimes there can be some oily residue in there and that can create a little bit of havoc as well. So all of those things can create some problems for your mud chemicals that you sort of want to be prepared for and be ready to react to. Right. And oftentimes when this stuff's depending on the rate of flow, you can start to see some of these problems occur sometimes faster than others. But Matt, why don't we go ahead and actually outline some of the problems that you would see, like kind of what's going on, not necessarily on the properties, but what are the problems conceptually that that are occurring? You know, the first one would be like flocculation of clays. Let's say you had a little bit of gel in there. The platelets will kind of sit upright. What'll happen is your mud will kind of like fluff up. So you actually see an increase in fluid loss and an increase in viscosity. And that can be, you know, not only from a little bit of salinity, but also from these cations basically wanting to make these things sort of like linked together. And polymers will do a similar thing. If you give some of these polymers that are slightly anionic, some cations, they'll stick to each other and create these sort of awkward chains. And so you'll see a bump in viscosity typically not in a good way. You'll see it sort of ramp up and then fall out. And so when we talk about expensive polymers and that sort of thing, we're generally not a huge fan of that situation. And that creates some of your problems. The other part of it is just trying to maintain a concentration. Recently, I'm sure, you know, when you've taken a flow, Justin, do you try and come up with like, okay, five barrels an hour, we can handle it. 10 barrels an hour. Okay. Give me 50 or 60. And we're going to drill with SWD water. Do you have like a threshold where you think you can kind of keep up usually, or how do yeah. you see it? And I think that you're right. And I think it's kind of a combination of all of it. You know, if your properties go to where you're, they're uncontrollable. And a lot of it too is say density control as well as if you're trying to maintain a certain density, because in some cases, you know, if you're taking flow, it's the immediate response. Oh, well, let's stop the flow by increasing the density. But if you have, if you're susceptible to loss returns, then, you know, you can't necessarily do that. So it's kind of like a decision tree, Sure. regardless of what type of system you have, definitely the rate. There's a threshold. At what point do we then go to plan B? And I think it's most of the time through my experience, it's been case by case, you know, oftentimes say, okay, do we just let it flow? And do we just drill with that water? Is that enough to maintain wellbore stability? Because if you're trying to maintain a certain fluid loss, well, depending on the formation and the area you're drilling, 
that may be okay. But in other cases, if you don't maintain certain properties, you may have a heck of a time trying to get out of the hole or in the worst case type of deal, you could get stuck because it's, you may be in a highly sensitive area where shales want to swell in on you as soon as you lose out on some certain properties that you're trying to maintain to maintain well more stability. So the answer is yes. However, it depends on the area, the well type and whatever contingency plan you have knowing, yeah, at what point do you then pivot and move to the next option? or backup plan. And so, because a lot of times if you don't, if you just say, oh, we're just going to try this and you don't have a plan to, as a contingency plan, it could be disastrous and extremely costly. So, but for the most part, yes. You know, if we exceed say, you know, 50 barrels an hour or whatever the case is, then yeah, let's swap over. And so again, there's nothing written in stone just again, because of the nature right. of the well. And, and Conditions like, vary. Yeah, it does. Exactly. That's this point being there. But these things are you know heavily discussed typically even before a pre-spud because in the MUD program, you'll have options and contingency plans and processes in place. So, but yeah, it's all fun and games when you start taking flow and just a number of different things going to occur. Yeah. You actually bring up a good point. Let's say you're trying to drill with fresh water, like an eight, five mud weight, right? I mean, okay, let's pretend we're mudded up. We said LSND, right? So the lowest I could get is maybe like a nine pound. Yeah. Pretending. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a nine pound ish situation. I take a flow and a lot of the times we'll get these flows and you kind of back work it and it, it's probably about a nine three or a nine five mud weight. And so if you're already riding the line on what your frack radiant window is, you know, you may not be able to break over the whole system without having losses below the flow area, right? You've drilled past the flow zone, you start taking the flow. You may be in a weaker area, lower down, what what have you. There can be all kinds of scenarios that can happen, especially when you fill up the whole column with this stuff. Right. So the short of it is, yes, it's complicated. Yeah. And too, a lot of times when you're trying to maintain density, it's extremely costly. But if you're trying to maintain a certain density and certain fluid properties, a lot of times you'll have to dump and dilute. And a lot of people think dumping and diluting means just dumping a little bit and diluting a lot. But oftentimes you may have to dump two, 300 barrels at a time and then have, you know, in your premix tank, that volume to make up. And so you are literally dumping and diluting with a ton of whole mud. Like you said earlier, fluid loss. When you're taking flow, it's really hard to maintain a low fluid loss. And so you really have to be mindful, you know, especially when you're looking at a cost perspective, if, if the plan is to possibly dump and dilute, understand the costs associated with dumping a ton of volume, because if not, you really have a hard time keeping up or getting ahead. And then two is density, right? If, if you're trying to maintain a nine pound and all that flow is coming in and creating a scenario where your system wants to jump, creep up to nine, three, nine, four, and then you start losing, yeah, you have to dump a ton of volume. And so it's costly, but it could be less costly if you were to then use, say, an invert emulsion where you're just completely messing up a complete oil mod system. So again, lots to consider, but I think for the purpose of the episode, if you're drilling with a polymer mud, and unfortunately polymer muds, you know, again, from my experience, they're a lot more tolerable to say a high chloride environment. However, the calcium or magnesium coming in from the water that you're getting the flow from, there's other contaminants that you have to treat out, which is really important. So Matt, why don't we talk about like from a treatment perspective, assuming we're bumping along with our LSND mud, Matt, what are some properties that you know, we're going to want to get out of line and what type of treatments can we offer to mitigate those issues? Well, and I guess we're talking from a drilling fluids perspective. So of course, managed pressure drilling and other things are an option. We're mm -hmm. not really going to run through those, but obviously if flows are out of control and you're having those challenges, that's one way to try and manage some of this, right? However, you know, on the fluid side, the first thing, I mean, we've already sort of talked about it is like, how much am I taking? What's my flow rate and, and what's the impact? And 
you know, there are ways to do this, right? You can do this by back calculating, you know, one, what is your change in chlorides relative to what you had? So you should be able to figure out what it would take to alter that based upon the amount of volume you've taken along with the chloride change. You could sort of back calculate. That being said, if there's a bunch of magnesium and calcium, it may not necessarily be all from sodium chloride. So it's not perfect, but it gives you some idea of, okay, this is sort of what I'm taking on. If you can slow or reduce the flow, I mean, that seems like a good place to start. I think obviously we're limited. That's why we have this conversation. If it's like, hey, just don't do it anymore. <laughs> a lot of our problems in West Texas would be solved, but even killing, slowing the flow, if you're on that window and able to drill the mud cap or do some of those things to sort of survive it, maybe at least, you know, to get it in and out of the well. But back to your point, if we're worried about the formation, we've sort of got to kind of figure out a couple of things, you know, where do we think the flow is coming from? You know, if it's higher up and we're drilling ahead, treating the contaminants so that our products will perform, you know, if you're picking up some of that hardness. But then the other thing to think about is like, if I know I've got these other hazards where that's the reason I was mudded up to an LSND system in the first place, do I do big fluid swaps? Like you've mentioned, do I pump concentrated sweeps at regular intervals, hoping that they'll be you know robust enough to deal with the dilutive effects of taking a flow? And in all likelihood near the bit, if you've drilled out past your flow area, you'll probably be able to lay down a decent wall cake. You're just going to spend a lot of money trying to get that in shape at surface to pump it back down again, right? So that's where I think you can kind of balance out, okay, these properties have diminished enough that now I need to do a big fluid swap or change things out. But in the meantime, I'm going to try and at least get whatever comes out of the bit to be near spec for mud properties, understanding I'm not going to have anything great coming back at the flow line per se. I think even we've talked about this to some degree too. What about flow rates you're actually getting when you're taking a flow relative to how you're circulating? And even what's happening to your lubricant concentration, for example, right? You're probably not going to get the amount of lubricant that you hoped. Worse yet, one of the things I've seen is oily residue in produced water and it sort of like cheesing and greasing with the lubricant. And then you've got kind of a clavered up mess along with depleted lubricant efficiency. So my goodness, so many unfortunate things can happen, but you may be able to swap out products, for example, with a starch that's more tolerant of salinity. You may be able to do a few things, but as much as we say dilution is the solution, dilution of your whole mud system can get expensive if you're trying to maintain a concentration. Do you have some recent experience where you've had to like try and keep a shale inhibitor in the system or anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, why this topic came up is because we're currently on a well where we're experiencing this. And fortunately, it's manageable aside from having to dump a little bit more volume and rebuilding it offline and then incorporating it into the system to keep up with certain properties. Yeah. Again, we're trying to maintain not any liquid shale inhibitors. Unfortunately, we're only drilling a vertical, so we're not having to add any mm -hmm. lubricants. So that would probably be a completely different ballgame. But for us, it's really been just staying ahead of the hardness to keep our fluid loss down. But one thing too is really make sure our MBT stays very low, minimizing the amount of fresh gel that we add to the system because that will then want to flocculate and yep. increase some rheology, mess with our rheology. So what we found is if you're drilling with an LSD and trying to maintain a full polymer type system, it's costly. However, it's your fluid performance is a lot better than trying to make it less expensive by incorporating a bunch of gel because that'll actually make things worse. And in this area, as we've experienced this before, to where 
there's been times where we've added not a single sack of gel. Now, granted, it was slightly more expensive, but we found trip times and just the wellbore reacted a lot better doing that than adding gel because you're going to pick up some natural gels anyway. So, you know, all the folks out there who run MBTs know exactly how fun it is, but it's critical when you're trying to run a system like this, at least from our experiences, making sure it's low enough to where you're not having any adverse effects come from it. Because then you can tolerate a pretty substantial amount of chlorides and hardness without letting the properties get too out of line to where it's actually going to affect your well bore. You know, this goes back to, I think in the office, you sort of have this game plan and you can have some decision trees, but it demands a lot of the mud engineer to look and react in real time and say, this is what I think is happening. And this is what I want to do, you know, kind of as it all happens and understanding you got to get everybody on board with the decisions because these flows are, I mean, they're not all different per se, but the difference in flow rate, the difference in the need for properties, maybe the difference in all of those things come into an economic set of factors that there's so many permutations, combinations, and frankly, customer priorities, right? You're balancing a lot of needs all at once, and you don't have a lot of margin to play around with it. You've got to make a decision and keep turning to the right, you know? Yeah. I think that's an important aspect. And I mean, you hear so many times like, oh, well, what if you just rigged up uh, MPD? Like, I think we all sort of know that MPD is great. It's also expensive and not an option for a number of these wells due to the cost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, there's, as the listeners could tell, it's it's not like, hey, if you're doing this with this mud system, here's what you do and go on about your business. It's very dynamic. You got to oftentimes make decisions on the fly, but you know, the purpose is just to at least make people aware like, hey, yes, you can drill with a water-based mud you know, and still take on a little bit of flow. And if you do, here's some things that you need to consider. And like I said, it is possible we've been doing it. And and I would rather take a flow like this when you're drilling with a polymer mud than if you were drilling, say, with a gel chem mud, as I say, or like a, I guess, dispersed mud, you know, type system. So, uh, but anyway, no, it's really just good conversation, man. And I think for the mud engineers out there who, you know, if you're used to drilling in an area where it's mostly oil-based mud, then all of a sudden you're asked to, hey, we're going to drill this section with water-based mud because you may be seeing some flow. Here's some good talking points. And then at the end of the day, it's all about planning and communicating. And for the mud engineers out there, if you've been rocking along with oil-based mud for a long time and you haven't checked water-based mud in a while, don't be afraid to speak up. Say, hey, you know, engineering manager or account manager, it's been a while since I've checked water-based mud. For the benefit of the company, I might need someone to come out here and hold my hand for a couple of days because that'll help go a long ways because there's there's a lot of areas where you might drill 50 wells on oil-based mud and then all of a sudden you're asked to do a water-based job. And I know for me, Ooh. I would really have to dive back into the book to make sure I know what I'm doing. So don't be afraid to speak up if you're not familiar with a certain system you're asked to run. Yeah. I mean, I actually use this sort of metaphor. So fairly recently, NASA, they launched a a vehicle at an asteroid. And Ah, what they're trying to do is study, like if one was headed towards Earth, could we do something about it? (laughs) But the idea isn't to blow up the asteroid into a bunch of tiny bits. It's to knock it off trajectory. Like you're going to defeat the three mile wide asteroid. You're just going to move it out of the way using some momentum, like nudge it another direction. Yeah, I feel like oil-based mud, it blows up the asteroid in a number of ways that works fine. But water-based mud, you're trying to work with what's being thrown at you. Yeah. And so you're trying to divert that energy or that momentum into another direction. And that's where balancing your clays, balancing your properties, it's not that you're going to treat out all of the hardness or you're going to stop the flow. You're going to learn to work with it. Yeah. You know, same thing with red beds and that sort of thing. Like if you tried to spend all the money to inhibit a red bed, 
you'd spend a lot of money and you probably wouldn't be successful. (laughs) You learn to deal with it at the lowest cost possible. And I think that's sort of where this gets in is how do I work with this stuff when I'm being thrown a curveball? You just got to be quick on your feet. But like you said, you got to get back on the bike and remember what it was like. And a lot of us have been doing oil-based mud for so long that it's just going to be a few spider webs, get them out of the way and remember, you know, think on your feet and you can do it as long as you don't try and fight it head on. (laughs) That's a really neat analogy. Put the NASA asteroid thing, but yeah, right. It's stuff. It's real life. You know, these episodes come from with ideas and thoughts that are happening in the field as we speak. But if anyone out there has any thoughts or experience doing this or just experience going from one system to another and some of the maybe comical experiences you had doing that, having to look back in your mud manual, even though you're a 15 year mud hand, sometimes you do what you got to do. So Matt, you got anything else for the listeners before we close out? No, I think I'm just going to close with the asteroid thing. (laughs) I like it. NASA is loud and proud here in Houston, Texas, and hopefully H-Town, we don't have a problem if an asteroid comes towards us. I think it was a success and hopefully your fluids are a success as well. And with the listeners, please subscribe, leave a review and hit us up on LinkedIn. Or if you see a post come out on LinkedIn mentioning the episode, leave a comment if you have any fun stories you want to share, or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. And with that said, stay safe, everyone. Happy fall ball. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.